ladies and gentlemen, we're going to take you all the way down in New Orleans this time. Competition is It has been a very long time since we've gotten to do this. Um, Hard to Pain has kind of been on a hiatus as I got started with 1037 The Game and my new show, Crunch Time, over there in Lafayette. So I hope if you haven't checked it out, you do. You can download the app, the 1037 The Game app, and listen to it there. Um, you can also get the the uh, podcast each day. Um, the, you can find those on social media. I post those daily. And but Heart of Pain is, is home. This is where I started. Um, I built this up and I wanted to come back here. I just wanted to make sure I gave 1037 all my attention as I started that job. Um, but coming back, the first person that I wanted to have back is one of the people who's been with me from the start. Uh, my brother in this um, and fellow member of the Dome Patrol, the one and only Ross Jackson. So I'm glad to have him back. Ross, I'm so I'm so happy we finally get to do this again. Yeah, man, me too, homie. It's good to see you, man. It's glad I'm glad to be able to be back here and uh, sharing the space with you. you. Know this is always one of the more uh, important moments of my week and everything to be able to see you, break bread with you, spend time with you, do all that. And so uh, I'm just grateful to be here with you, man. And I appreciate you having me back. It's been a hell of a year, man. It's been a hell of a year. We yeah, still got four homie. months to go. You know, after after what we experienced in 2020 and thinking, oh, it's going to get better when you get into 2021. I'm not really looking forward to 2022, if I'm being real with you. Like, I, there's no yeah. solace in the chain in the flipping of the calendar for me. No, they're, they're just numbers at this point. They're yeah. just numbers. It's one long year. Like, yeah, I want I my damn years back. <laughs> I told my I told my daughter, I said, this week has been the longest year of my life. I said, it's just crazy. <laughs> It's crazy, but, oh, um, you know, all the things that have been going on uh, between the hurricane and just still dealing with the pandemic and, and just, right. you know, in our own lives. I mean, your mm-hmm. lives get busy you know, and, you know, congratulations to you getting married soon. Thank you, man. Appreciate you that. Um, so that's a huge step for you. And man, I, I'll tell you this, when I see your stories and stuff like that, and, and that you post with your fiance, there is, there's real joy there, man. And, and that that stuff is hard to fake. You can't pretend that stuff. And there, nah. there are moments that are insignificant, really. Mm-hmm. And that's where you see the stuff is in those moments that you're just screwing around. You're right. not really meaning to do anything serious. That's where you could tell who people are. Yeah, and um, absolutely. I, I, it seems like, you know, from a distance and I haven't gotten to meet your lovely fiance yet, but um, that y'all have something special, man. Only a matter of time, homie. Only a matter of time. But yes, now we're, you know, I'm very fortunate. I'm very fortunate in a lot of lanes of my life. You know what I mean? I'm very fortunate with my friendships, very fortunate with my companionship here, and uh, very fortunate with everything that's going on. And, you know, I try to take a moment to be appreciative of that, grateful of that every day and try to acknowledge it, not just let it exist, right? But give it attention, you know? And uh, and so that, that means a lot to hear. That means a lot to hear. And I appreciate that. You think about where we were two years ago when we first met. Yeah. And what we were both, you know, we were both okay. Mm-hmm. You know, we were doing all right, doing solid. Right, you know. <laughs> and from that to this, the progress, mm-hmm. not just for us, but also for just to see the changes for journalists like us, people mm-hmm. of color, how much we've kind of more gotten our place and yeah. carved out a place in this um, arena, both in podcasting and in writing and just content creation in general. Um, I'm proud to be part of that 
in whatever small way we are. Um, and the best thing for me is like when we see these other groups come, other folks coming up behind us that we get to put on yeah. and give them an opportunity um, and use our platform, however big it is, to continue to give more voices to to the space. And I I, I love that. And, and, and it's great to see on Twitter that people, that not only that we appreciate them for seeking us out and saying, can you help me? But more than anything, like they, they come back and appreciate um, us. And it's just, it's yeah. humbling. It's humbling. Cause I never thought that, that I would have the ability to help somebody else get started. Yeah. That's the wild part, right? You, you go so quickly and it happens fast. It happens fast to where you go quickly from being the person that's looking for help to being able to uh, provide the help. Right. And it's important that you remember, and I try to do this all the time. I try to remember it wasn't that long ago from, you know, when I was, you know, shooting off DMs to people and saying, Hey, can I get your advice on this? Or can you help me out with this? And like you and I talked about NABJ and everything like early, early on and stuff. And like, you, you can't remove yourself from that. That part of you always has to be present so that when somebody does reach out to you and they take the time to type out a message to you, which feels insignificant. It doesn't feel like it takes a lot of time to send somebody a DM or whatever, but it does because it takes time to type it out and send it over to you. Yes, logistically, but it takes courage. It takes bravery. It takes all these other things to reach out to somebody and say, you're doing what I want to do and I want to know how to get there. I want to know how to help. I want to know how to, how to be a part of what you're doing, or I want to know how to do what you're doing so that I can do it on my own and everything. And always trying to make sure to carve out time for people when they do that and doing it for the betterment of the people that have invested time in you and then doing it so that you don't fall into the same traps of the people that didn't invest the time when you asked them for it. And I think both of those things are important. You don't want to do things in spite of somebody else's actions or anything like that. But I never take someone else's inaction as influence to also be inactive or as permission to also be inactive. Like, oh, okay, I've arrived, <laughs> right? We have it. And you should never. That's the idea. Like you're always, you're always working to arrive but you should never feel like you've arrived. And a big part of working to arrive is the people that you meet along the way and stuff. That's how, you know, brotherhoods like this begin. That's how, you know, these friendships, I mean, you look at some of these people, I'm gonna shout out a couple of people, but you know, you look at, at folks like Reggie, who, you know, up in, up in Atlanta now at 11 Alive, he's part of the Tegna fam, like doing some incredible stuff. Like, I just, I love seeing all that Maddie, all the work that she's doing, sideline reporter for Tulane now, like just incredible progress for people. Chrissy, all the work that she's doing with Draft Network and then, you know, heading up SI and, and, and covering the Bulldogs and everything, like just incredible stuff watching all of these people continue to progress and grow. And when you see your pack continue to get better and better and better, it influences you, right? You want to get better and better and better with them. And everybody is up on that rise as opposed to it being a lonely sort of, you know, it's just me out here in these streets. And, and you don't have to ever think of yourself as the leader of any of these things. Mm -hmm. We are all leaders in some way. You get to share that information because there are things that I don't do as well that somebody else does as well. Like I lean on Chrissy for quarterback information. That, that young I lady. Mean, listen, <laughs> come on, come on. she's ridiculous. Yeah. It's incredible. Makes me feel it's incredible. She makes me feel smarter after the yeah. end of every conversation. And, yeah. and, and that is something that I, I really you know take to heart. And it just 
you know, like you said with Maddie, you know, she made her first appearance on my show this week and just killed it, just killed mm -hmm. it. And, and it's that preparation and the energy that they bring and all that. And, and, you know, to see a guy like my, my dude, Trevor Ritchie, who yes, Trevor's was, been was dope, almost man. homeless. Trevor right. was almost homeless. And now he's got his podcast going, he's got sponsors, he's doing his thing and he's still part of the family. And it's just, it just grows. And that's the great thing is like, our, my goal has nothing to do with a particular job or, or amount of money. Right. Like my goal is, am I doing great work and am I impacting people? Yeah. And, and those things, the rest will come. If I can't be happy with that part, man, that money is never going to make us happy. I mean, I love it. I like yeah. money. Right. I mean, it's I, great. It makes, Don't get me wrong. It's fun. <laughs> but if you're chasing that, if you're not chasing the work, if you're not chasing right. the betterment, then you're never going to be happy because yeah. The situations are not going to please you. What you have to do to get that money at a lot of those situations, and just you see it, you see it where the compromises are too great. And yes. there are things you have to give up, but there are things I won't give up. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, you know, I I feel very fortunate to have landed where I've landed, but it didn't come without the hard work, right? I mean, obviously, all of it comes with hard work and everything like that, but. It has been a focus of mine to make sure that, you know, if I have the career, I have, you know, the work, everything in the, my left hand, and then in my right hand, I have my family, my home life, where I go home to each day, you know, the, the, the personal stuff. That if everything in this left hand, the career and everything goes away, I have to be stable and happy with what I have left here in the right hand. That becomes the thing that's foundational upon which to build your future or whatever it is that you're doing. And for some folks, that means, obviously that all means different things, right? Everyone's home life is different. Everybody's personal life is different. Everyone's personal preferences are different. Everyone's personal is different, right? So whatever that looks like, frame that, create that, cultivate that around you so that, you know, as these jobs that might come and go do come and go, that's all, that's all fine and dandy, but once you get down to like the brass tacks of what it is that holds you up on a daily basis, it has to be what's personal to you, what means the most to you. And I never let, I never let, as much as I love the work that I do, I never let the work that I do define me. I love very much what I do, but the definition of who Ross Jackson is exists within my homestead. It exists within my household. It exists within me, not within my title or, or anything like that. I love sitting in, I love the fact that I get to sit in front of a microphone, talk to numerous people that I love on a daily basis and about this game that I love so much and reap benefit from that, not only in the returns in terms of money and things like that, which is like, like you said, that's all great. But the benefit that I reap from it is that people talk back. Mm -hmm. That's the thing that's so incredible to me. Cause I sit in front of a microphone and I talk by myself for 30 minutes every day. It makes me feel nuts, but I love it. And the thing that's so remarkable to me is that people take the time to talk back. Yep. And that is just like, you know, from years ago, being somebody that was working on the road, traveling from this theater to that theater or traveling with this show to that show and everything like that. Like, the insignificance of that in terms of your life being in someone else's hands on a daily basis to all of a sudden being the pioneer of your own ship is, even though with the support of an entire network, mm -hmm. and I have the incredible support of a fantastic network, 
but there's just something unique about it that I never thought was going to be possible for a someone that looked like me and b me period. I didn't go to journalism school. I didn't. I don't have a degree in journalism. I didn't. I. I. I that. That. I missed that ship. You know what I mean. I, I. My focuses went elsewhere. I have degrees. None of them in what I'm doing. You know what I mean. <laughs> and so, except for talking, right? Like that's that's what my training was in in the very first place. Was how do you talk in front of an audience? And I'm grateful for that. But I didn't think that there would be a space for me. You know what I mean. And so I'm grateful for people like yourself. Who have consistently carved out space and proven to people like me, hey, if there's not a space for you, make one. And that was such a huge influence seeing you do that. You bringing me on uh, the station down in New Orleans and everything, and us talking every week. Uh, you know, watching other folks that continue to do that, like Reggie down at WBOK has been you know big in in, in my journey. Brian, of course, has been fantastic and all of that. So like this is your, Kelsey, like. All these people have been absolutely remarkable to just watch carve their own path, which makes you feel like, all right, dope. So if I can just sit here and do what it is that I love to do, eventually I'll make a space for myself. And like you said, the feedback mm -hmm. when you get people both positive and negative. Yeah. It what it does tell you is that somebody gave their time right. to hear what you were saying. And even if they disagree with you, they listened enough to your argument or conversation to formulate an opinion and want to speak to you about it. Right. And, and so you welcome that. And it's interesting because you do it, you talk in front of your mic for 30 minutes and, um, and it's just you. And it's almost like that on the radio where you're there for mm -hmm. two hours and I can't see my audience. I can't see what their reactions are. You know, some days you get calls and some days you don't, um, but you have to perform that as if there mm -hmm. are people right there in front of you and, and give them that energy every day. And there are times I know you sit in your chair sometimes in the morning and right before you try to finally hit record, your energy is maybe at 60%. And then as soon as it's got to come up and it does, and you, you get invigorated by it. And for those two hours on the radio every day, there have been times when I've walked in and it's 345 and I know I got to go live in 15 minutes. And I look at my producer and I say, I don't know if I got this today. And then as soon as the music comes on, I find that space and I do right. it because that's that is for that moment is home. That's my escape. And I get to, to just talk about what I love. There's no more drama in that, in that space. There's no right. drama in it. Nothing else is infiltrating it. And uh, so I just, I, it's just been so great. Now, one of the things I did want to mention real quick is, mm -hmm. um, you know, first I was honored earlier this year to get um, Louisiana Sports Writer Association podcast of the year, um, which was, I don't know how to frame it because I don't want to say it was completely unexpected because I was, proud of the work that I did, mm -hmm. but it was unexpected. The fact that that was my first year Yeah, to come out the gate and, and do that in your first year sets a high bar for me. Now I got to make sure I do some good stuff going forward. <laughs> but at the same time, the man who encouraged me in the beginning, Ro Brown, mm -hmm. um, the first African-American sports reporter in new Orleans, he goes into Louisiana sports hall of fame this year too. He went mm -hmm. in. So to have both of those moments he was there sitting right next to me when i got my award man and then to watch him go into the hall of fame you know to watch a mentor and a friend um and know he's a pioneer yeah. that he was there first and he made it possible for me all those years later he came on in the 60s and i'm there in 2000s and i'm learning from him still and it's just you appreciate that so much 
it's an amazing thing when people walk through their door and hold it open for the next person. Because otherwise, what's the point, right? Mm -hmm. Like, what's the point? Like, if I can't hold the door open for somebody behind me, if you can't open the door open for somebody behind you, then why are we walking through the damn door in the first place, right? It's self-indulgence at that point. Yep. And I think neither of us, and we've talked about this before, like we don't care if we're right. We don't care if it, that, none of that matters. The idea is to provide information to the people that are kind enough to listen and take in any amount of what we have to say. And we want to provide accurate information so that they walk away with something of value, but we don't need a pat on the back for it. It's not self-indulgent. Mm -mm. It's just what we love to do. And so when you have that door that opens or that you've opened, right? More, probably more accurately, you knock the door down. <laughs> it's important to hold that door open for the person that's behind you or not let that door go back up because then you get back into status quo. We're all about disruption, right? Yep. It's part of our business. Like our business is to disrupt. Our business is to break into spaces and provide information, right? We're coming to you on your daily drive. We're coming to you on your commute. We're coming to you while you're mowing your grass. We're coming to you while you're washing your dishes. Like whatever it is, what's up? I'm good. What's going on? How are you? Let me give you this information, right? Like our job is to disrupt. But like as black men in this field, as black people in this field, as non-white people in this field, as people of color, our job is to disrupt, right? Like our job is not to sit around and be quiet anymore and accept, you know, things that are gatekeeping or things that are gaslighting or whatever right? Like we're supposed to step forward now. That's the idea. That's the, that's the environment that we're now in. And some people see it as an attack because it attacks their understanding of what their reality is. But the reality is that it's time to disrupt. And so when we get the opportunity to do that, we should be disrupting to the extent of generating opportunities for more and other, yep. right? Not Absolutely. just on our own. Right? It's not just self-indulgent. I'm not just trying to break into this space and steal your money. I'm trying to break into this space, bring all my homies and move in. Like that's what I'm trying to do. And that's what we're trying to do. And I think that, you know, it's it's a crude analogy, but it is the the presence of the time, which is this interesting blend of finesse and force. Right. Like mm -hmm. The finesse of it is that I have to do my job well. Like regardless of who I am or whatever, I have to do my job well. The force of it is. I have to lead with what's most important about myself and not let that be taken away, not let that be erased, not let that be in exception to or in spite of, right? You have to be able to kind of blend this uh, boom and zoom, if you will, uh, to get into, you know, a little bit of a saint's analogy, I guess, but to get into that sort of like boom and zoom of it all to where you're walking that line between I'm here and you're going to notice me because I'm doing the job well, but you're going to remember me because I'm not going to give you a choice otherwise. Yes, absolutely. You know, if, if you're in it to be like everybody else, and that's what the, the thing with young um, journalists that you see so much is that they've been influenced so much by what they see and what they think the job is, um, that once they get to the nuts and bolts, they realize it's it's a lot harder than it, than you think. Mm -hmm. um, and, and the hardest part is holding on to your own personal identity. Yeah, because it's so easy to get a news director or an advisor, an agent or whatever, who's going to tell you, you need to be more like this. You need to be more right. like this. And the, the only person you can be is yourself. Now, there are things you can clean up and get yourself sharper at, but you can't be other people. You, you yeah. just really can't. And that's that's why I, the people that I do work with, I respect them mostly because that's they're going to give me who they are. They're not going to give me something rehearsed. They're not going to give me something fake. They're not going to try to be 
quote unquote Ross Jackson. You're just going to be Ross Jackson. Right. And that's what I appreciate. Yeah, uh, after that love fest, we got to move on. We got to talk <laughs> some football. I was like, are they going to talk about sports at any point? Well, it is we, haven't, we haven't gotten to talk, though, in such I know, a long it's, time. <laughs> and, and it's just, you know, when we do this, I, I, it's an important thing for me. It's, it's really right. important because I, I don't think those conversations ever go nowhere. They, I think they lead to something. And hopefully somebody takes something from that. Um, let's start with just a quick review of, of last mm-hmm. Sunday's game. I want to start with the game plan. Because mm-hmm. I think that there are only the two coaches, I think, in the NFL who are best at game planning for individual teams are Bill Belichick and Sean Payton. And Sean Payton came out with an approach for the for this game that was specifically tailored to what he wanted to do against the Green Bay Packers and to, like you've said before, establish some things for down the road. And I, I just thought he did a masterful job of that. I thought the first quarter in particular was one of the best first quarters he's ever coached. Man. Yeah, it was it was a remarkable game plan, both on the offensive and defensive side as well. Sean Payton doing a fantastic job preparing this offense for how to attack this Green Bay defense. And the thing about it is that, you know, they had the clear competitive advantage anyway, right? There's no tape on what this New Orleans Saints offense was going to be coming into this game. So it was just an absolute playground. For Sean Payton, who called a tight end screen on fourth and seven, right? Like, <laughs> like insane play calling in the best way possible. And so the things that I looked at, the things that I was looking for in this game were, you know, are they going to be more risky or are they going to continue to be risk averse? How many of these targets actually go downfield with Jameis Winston? Because that was one of the big things. Oh, Jameis Winston's been named the starter. The New Orleans Saints are going to open this field up. They're going to take these shots all the way down down the field, and they're going to be, you know, more risky. That's just not who the New Orleans Saints are. Like, that's not their identity. It's calculatory, every bit of it, right? You're setting up these short passes. You're setting up these looks so that you can exploit them later on in the game, much like what you saw with the Deontay Harris touchdown late. Or you're setting up these looks so that, as you mentioned, you come back to them later on. So the game plan and the offensive side was very much just maintain identity, control the clock. They had two, they had a nine yard, uh, excuse me, a nine play drive to open up the game, followed by two 15 play drives. To, to Those were their three possessions in the first half. We got to the two minute warning within, I think it was like within the first hour and 15 minutes of that game on broadcast. It was a game that the New Orleans Saints controlled with their offensive identity. They didn't change their identity at all with Jameis Winston. And Jameis did a fantastic job of just slotting right in to the system. And that's not to call him a system quarterback because I know people get really offended by that. But every quarterback has to be able to mesh with the system that they have. And Sean Payton's system looks like it's good for Jameis Winston. Good for Jameis Winston in that he threw for 148 yards and no interceptions, but also added five touchdowns on that. That's a touchdown every 30 yards of passing. That's a touchdown every three pa- every three pass completions. He threw five touchdowns on 14 completions. The efficiency was off the charts. On the defensive side, the game plan helped a ton. Oh, let me say too, on the offensive side, the other thing that the team did very well is that they maintained that identity even in the run game. Yes. After losing 
Eric McCoy three plays in or however early it was into the game. Having a shift Caesar Ruiz to guard because you didn't have Will Clapp available. You bring in an undrafted free agent from 2020 to come in, Calvin Throckmorton, who was fantastic at Auburn. I was surprised. Who you love. Yeah, you have yeah, always yeah. loved Throckmorton. I was really surprised he didn't get drafted in 2020, but I was very excited that he ended up with the New Orleans Saints. And then he comes in at right guard, and they played well. Did they have a phenomenal game? No, there there were definitely some struggles. And this offensive line actually struggled in the run game, but the but the running backs made up for it. Um, and the other thing that made up for it was the threat of the pass. This is where you see the symbiotic relationship. The threat of the pass meant that Tony Jones Jr. faced an eight-man box 9.09% of the time in this game. Uh, uh, Alvin Kamara, 10% of this game. So, and their time to the line were two of the five fastest in the NFL. Nobody was getting in that backfield. Nobody was getting in that backfield. And so they did a fantastic job getting positive yardage immediately. That's how you end up with 171 yards when you have one running back that averages four and a half and another that averages just under that. And then so, Jameis gives you 13 yards of carry. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And then he scrambles three times. And so, you know, I think that the, the offensive game plan was a really interesting because it was a conservative one in that it was uh, intentional, the way, that it was, the way that it was constructed. And then on the defensive side, the thing that I loved about it was that they showed new things that you haven't seen from the New Orleans Saints defense before. They played... Uh, a, a, a scheme called that was essentially cover for match quarters match, which is this match concepts or are pattern matching on the defensive side. So what they're doing is that if a if a route goes vertical, then that player's assignment, whoever is assigned to that receiver or the inside route or the outside route, if that play comes vertical, then they switch to man coverage. If the play goes out, if they're if the the person that they're lined up with goes outside, they're passing that off. Everybody's switching to zone on that half of the field, so it's literally splits up to like a cover six, cover nine, and then they're passing that off to the other corner who's also gone into zone, so that they can then take any inside routes if that's their assignment. So depending, it's it's a rip Liz defense, a right left defense. So it changes depending upon what routes the offensive side runs. And the Saints did something different this year was that they ended up going too high a bunch in this one, either cover two and cover two man or in cover two zone or too high in terms of cover four to where you have two safeties high, but you also have these two corners that can go back high as well. And a lot of that comes down to Marcus Williams play that allows you to be able to do that. The interception that he had on, uh, on Aaron Rodgers, that ridiculous rangy interception looked like a cover four match call, which the Saints didn't really run last year. Then they lost Janoris Jenkins. They lost Brian Poole to injured reserve. They lost uh, Patrick Robinson on a surprise retirement. They have a rookie corner at Paulson Adebo. Uh, Marcus, uh, 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 Marshawn Lattimore, uh, you know, has a thumb bone fracture. Surgery. Chip. Yeah. yeah, he's got to get surgery. And they say, let's try something new. <laughs> it's, it's remarkably risky, but it ended up being absolutely what the new orleans saints needed so the game plan on both these sides sorry i know I just went on a long ass rant no it's okay um but the game plan on both of these sides was remarkable and impressive and just like you saw on the offensive side run pass uh complementing one another you saw the same thing on the defensive side with pass rush and coverage big time because this team focused very much on eliminating the run game but they took advantage of the fact that green bay had a starting rookie center another rookie starting on the offensive line and elton jenkins playing out of position on the left side and that pass rush got home quite a bit. Yeah, people are going to look at it and say, well, they only had one sack, but Aaron Rodgers was moving out of the pocket quite frequently. He was having to get rid of the ball more quickly than he would have wanted to. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I said, when you talk about conservative, I think people think that that means that you're not trying to do things. 
No, it was conservative in the fact that they stayed with what was effective and they shortened a right. ball game, I think, for multiple reasons. Number one, you shorten it, you make it easier for Jameis. You don't put him in a position where he has to go out and win something. Right. Um, you just allow him to play. And you shorten it for your defense that you're trying to find out what that depth really looked like. And you don't want those guys exposed in week one and see, oh, we put him out on the field way too much. We can't really see what we need to adjust who's, you know, and who's out there. So I thought that was very purposeful in what they did. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, again, this week, and we'll get into this in a moment, but I, I don't see the game plan changing a ton this week. There will be new wrinkles, as there always are. But I think that the overall concept of let's dominate the time of possession, let's do death by a thousand cuts, and then take advantage of big shots when we can, I think that will be the modus operandi for this team at the as they get their health back and as they get their weapons back. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And now as they add new weapons too, right? I mean, they're they're going to continue to – this is the thing that I love about the New Orleans Saints is that they can come and they can open <laughs> – they can come and they can open up the season 38 with a win, 38-3, to three, handing the reigning MVP the worst loss of his career from a per, points differential standpoint and then say, we have to get better and then make moves on the roster to get better, make adjustments around this team to get better. It's – it's one of my favorite things about covering this team is that they just are never satisfied. They're never satisfied. And, and it, it makes it fun to cover. It's so funny that remember there were people who talked about this should the Saints tank before right. the beginning of the season. And right. Yeah. That's oh, not Sam Howell or whatever. Like, no, nah, I think they're okay. That ain't how I this works. Right. <laughs> that ain't how this works. Um, let's talk about Jameis. We have to talk about Jameis. Um, it's, 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 no secret now that the thing that has persisted since Sunday is the talk about the incompletion, the, the having mm, the eight mm -hmm. seconds yes. in the pocket yep. um, and, and then deciding I'm going to chuck it because it was something that he'd seen in practice, thrown a pick on it and said, I recognize it. I'm not doing that again. Yeah. Um, you know, that, that is extremely significant in his progress, but I thought it was, there were several examples for him throughout the day, even when he chose to tuck and run, where he didn't see something that he liked and said, let me just do the best thing in this situation. And I think that that happened way more often than not um, over the course of the game. And that was more important to me than five touchdown passes. It was just that the decision-making process for Jameis and his temperament, he, he, he throws five touchdown passes. You don't see him running up and down the field. You don't see him throwing his arms up. You don't see him eating dubs. He was very much in control. And I think he's that maturity was something that we were waiting on. And it's, it's, he's very much in control. I doubt he's, you know, any less gregarious on the sidelines with his teammates or in the locker room or all those things. But on the field, there was a level of control and purpose in his eyes and his actions mm -hmm. that I thought was extremely impressive. Yeah, absolutely. No, I completely agree. And I, I think that, you know, you, we talked about the maturity of him all throughout the offseason, right? Like every moment where it was evident, whether it was at Dak's football camp or it was just listening to him talk, you know, during practice or, or you know, the, the post, uh, the conference that he did right after he signed, where he went in depth about the impact of Drew Brees and, and spending that time with him and everything. And you've seen... Um, examples of his maturity and of his growth over the course of this offseason off the field. And we talked about this a bunch that this fight or this fight, excuse me, this quarterback battle wasn't just about what happens in training camp. 
that quarterback battle started months before the moment that Jameis signed his contract last year before the season. And I, I kept trying to remind people of that sometimes subtly, sometimes not as subtly, I'll admit. Um, when it came down to the quarterback battle not being about what just happened today, because a lot of people were reactionary. Oh, mm -hmm. this person's piece, and, and shout out to the local media and everybody that did such a phenomenal job covering every angle of this quarterback battle. It's not their fault that things get cherry picked, right? They, they put the information out and people take the information from what they want. Yeah, Amy, Justin, and, and uh, they just did a fantastic job yeah. all with the quarterback competition. Yeah. And so you saw like Luke Johnson, for instance, who went through and categorized every pass that was thrown in 11 on 11s throughout training camp. And if one person had a good, if one of them had a good day, the reaction was they're winning. That's the quarterback despite the fact that maybe the other one had the better day beforehand, or despite the fact that someone had a better day in the classroom in mini camps, or somebody had a better day, you know, off the field in their press conference a year ago. Like that's the reality of what this quarterback battle was. It wasn't just about who completed more passes, who made the right decisions. I mean, these guys were getting report cards at the end of the day, effectively. Here's what you did well, here's what you have to improve. And that's not just because it's a quarterback battle. That's because this team wants to win games. This team wants to make the right decision. It's not about who they like best <laughs> or who's been around the longest. Who's going to give them the best opportunity to win these games? Then you come out and you have this you know, incredible performance by Jameis Winston in that what, what turned out to be the final preseason game. So he throws both of these big-time touchdowns to Marquez Calloway, who's been phenomenal. And it felt like, okay, that's the cherry on top. That was the moment that you were waiting for to where all of a sudden the public sees that's that's the winner right there mm -hmm. you know and then they gave you know Taysom what like six drives after that to to get an opportunity to be able to compete and this was the thing that i love so much about what the new orleans saints did was that it was about equity between these two quarterbacks not equality they didn't get the exact same treatment nor should they have <laughs> Jameis winston the number one overall selection coming into the nfl out of, you know, and had a fantastic college career and came into a system that didn't compliment him. Um, Taysom Hill came in as an undrafted free agent that was first before anything else, before he was a quarterback in the NFL, he was a special teamer. You can't give them equal treatment and expect one of and expect both of them to rise. It has to be equitable. And so you saw Jameis Winston go out there in two drives and throw two touchdowns and have this, or three drives and throw two touchdowns and have this, you know, incredible day. And so instead of saying, okay, Taysom, you get three drives now, they said, go out there and we'll, we'll see you in a little bit. And then they had him out there in the second half. That's the right way to go about it, in my opinion, in my opinion. But to me, Jameis was a very clear winner. And what you saw on, by the end of it all, what you saw on Sunday against Green Bay, I don't think is a fluke. I'm not saying he's going to go out there and throw five touchdowns to no interceptions. No, that's the, the, the touchdown I mean? numbers are the things that, that are going to be variables. It, it's the decision-making. Right. It's the, it's yes. that, that's what you're yeah. looking at from a week to week basis. Yeah. And as you said, I thought he really improved there. He improved in 
that pass that everybody's talking about, right? The throwaway. He improved in the decision-making to run and lower his shoulder. I think Jameis, I think people still don't realize how big Jameis is. Big man. <laughs> he's big, man. He's and then, thick. And he's yeah. like, it's not, he's not fat. It's, it's yeah. thickness. I yeah. remember that picture when people were making fun of his gut a few years <laughs> ago. Remember he's standing there shirtless and he had a little roundness. But yeah. that's not this year. Right. He is ripped. Yeah. It's, it's an insane piece of progress to track over the past couple of years and then his decision making in just the passes that he threw i found i definitely found some to where you know he took a shot downfield to marquez calloway at some point early in the game when deonta harris was running open cross in the middle of the field i'll be looking for that exact it was a trips concept on the mm -hmm. outside deonta harris was lined up on the outside of that triangle he came underneath while the two other receivers including marquez calloway came over the top and so i'll look for that in the carolina game and see does he make that throw and if 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 that route underneath is open again and if that route is underneath and open again i can almost guarantee he will make that throw next week that's what we've seen from james winston over the course of this entire offseason his ability and willingness to make adjustments and to be functionally malleable to the point to where he's not changing things to the point to where he's hurting himself or hurting the team he's making appropriate adjustments I'll be looking for that one next week, and I'm almost certain that we'll see it. And, and yeah, it's only 21 pass attempts, but he moved them around. And mm -hmm. there was a question, I think, that people had, is he going to try to force it to Marquez Callaway because of the right. relationship they had during the preseason? It's two targets. One right. catch, two targets. And he didn't force it in there to him. He used his other receivers um, very well, uh, I thought, gave, you know, obviously giving Jawan Johnson a, a great start to his career mm -hmm. uh, at tight end finding Deontay Harrison in a couple of situations. And then Alvin Kamara. I mean, like, there's not enough you can ever say Come about on. Alvin. He may – I think he's got the best balance of any back that I've seen since – and I'll say this, since Walter Payton. Because Walter Payton was impossible to get off balance. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, don't, I don't compare him to, like, a Barry Sanders because Barry's squat and low. You're not really going to get a guy like that. Alvin's longer. You know, there's more to hit. Yeah. But he doesn't go down, and his, and his ability to, to maintain, especially on that fourth one, fourth and one, Jameis throws mm -hmm. a bad pass, he catches it, puts his hand on the ground, and is still able to get that bounce, turn himself around, and get the, the first down. There are, aren't other backs in the league who will make that play. Right. Yeah. And, and you saw that a couple of times, right? I mean, there was another play to where he could have gotten stopped in the backfield, and he ended up, you know, bullying his way through. I mean, the guy is, is remarkable in a whole lot of different ways, right? And and I think that this year, you're going to see different usage for Alvin Kamara, or not different, but usage more akin to 2017 than what we've seen over the past couple of years, where he gets used in the slot, he gets used out wide, and, you know, continues to be a focus in the passing. 24 touches, I feel like is perfect for Alvin Kamara. He had 20 carries in this game for over 80 yards. He had four catches. That's a perfect day for him in terms of usage. Tony Jones Jr. comes in and has this great day where he averages four and a half yards. You look at the time to the line for him, it was just under two and a half seconds. Only two backs in, in, the, in week one were under two and a half seconds getting from handoff to beyond the line of scrimmage. He was one of those two. And you look at like Latavius Murray, for instance, over the past couple of years, he was around the 2.75 second area. If, if I had to give it an average, it's probably around 2.7 and a half. And that's fine, but when you're not facing eight-man boxes, when you have an offensive line that's in front of you but is injured and you have some of these replacements and shuffling around, 
you want to have these running backs that can create on their own, that can be in, independently efficient. And Tony Jones Jr. comes out in his first game, and I tweeted during the game, I said something like, a lot of Green Bay Packers fans right now are wondering who Tony Jones Jr. is and why nobody told them about him. Because they're looking at this guy come in and they're wondering, oh, where's Latavius Murray? Oh, Latavius Murray's in Baltimore now. Alvin Kamara's not on the field though. Who the hell is this guy? And, you know, he had himself a fantastic day and he's looking like he's going to be a really nice compliment to what Alvin Kamara does is being a guy that can rush up the middle, being a guy that could be a threat in the passing game. And most importantly, is a phenomenal pass protector in the backfield as well. He gives you an additional, I don't want to say an additional offensive lineman, but he can help buy Jameis Winston that extra second, half a second when he is waiting for something to develop downfield. Reminiscent of Mark Ingram. Very, very. I mean, even if you look down to like his measurables, these guys are extremely close. You look at his measurables and the athletic testing for both of these guys as they came into the NFL. And a lot of the stuff is like 0.02 off, whatever it is you're talking about. You're talking about time, you're talking about weight, you're talking about whatever, height, everything. This guy, Tony Jones Jr., coming in as an undrafted free agent at Notre Dame last year, had a really impressive training camp. He was one of my five guys that was most likely to make the roster for New Orleans. He didn't make the route. Well, he did. He got on the field in, two, in, in week 17, but you know, there was <laughs> all this stuff going on with that. Uh, <laughs> and so it, it made a lot of sense. And I, I, it made sense that the Saints would like this guy because he is very, very much what they had, or very like what they had in Mark Ingram, particularly in that idea that he is a good pass protector and that he can do so much for you on the offensive side as a receiver, as somebody that can run between the tackles. And he's a fantastic zone runner. Yes. I mean, his vision is really good. And the Saints want to do that. They moved away from Larry Warford. They moved away from, I mean, they tried to keep Mark Ingram, but Mark Ingram's career revitalized as, because remember, Mark Ingram was quote unquote a bust when he yeah. was wearing 28, right? Before he switched over to 22 and then they started doing zone running. So once all that happened, then all of a sudden, Mark Ingram's career kind of revitalized and, and the value of his pick made sense because the Saints went to something that allowed him to say, I can do one of three things on every single run play. And he was fantastic at that because he could stick his foot in the ground in one cut, he can get around an edge, or he could just lower his shoulder and go right up the middle if he wanted to. Tony Jones Jr. has a lot of that same similar type of skill set and maybe even more improved vision because he did it in college as well. Whereas Mark Ingram's an Alabama running back. They right. handed him the ball and they said Giant holes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, here, here you go. You're fine. <laughs> so I, I really like what Tony Jones Jr. has the potential to bring to this team here in 2021. Let's talk about Juwan Johnson really quickly. Mm -hmm. um, you know, showed the ability to to move, um, the athleticism, um, the hands, you know, on both oh. touchdown catches were just fantastic. A, I got to give Jameis credit for putting that ball up. Yeah. You know, to, to know if I'm because he was getting hit. James was getting hit as he released that ball and puts it up um, so that only if, if Juwan don't get it, nobody gets it. The second wasn't a great throw, but Juwan, you know, just as balanced at his body and makes a perfect catch. Uh, this he seems athletically mm -hmm. and just um, mentally that this is his spot. I yep. think he feels like he, he can do this. Yeah, it's it's. It's kind of shocking. Um, I talked to someone from Oregon last year when the Saints signed Jawan Johnson as an undrafted free agent. And we talked about, should he change his position to tight end? And my answer was yes, because the wide receiver room already had a lot of 
players and competitiveness going on there. And so I thought, yeah, if he transitions to tight end, it gives him a better opportunity to make the roster just by virtue of numbers. And at least he'll make the practice squad because my assumption was that it was going to take not way longer, but it was going to take more than just a summer to transition from wide receiver to the hardest position to transition into in the NFL, whether you're coming from college, to the NFL or whatever, um, you know, Dan Arnold making the switch from wide receiver to tight end, it's still getting better for him. He's still figuring it out now in, in Carolina, really figured it out during his time in Arizona because Arizona is an air raid offense. They basically just use him as a wide receiver. So now you have this, this guy in Juwan Johnson who I celebrated the fact that he was transitioning to tight end, but I thought it was going to take a lot longer than week one for him to show up and have any kind of a multi-touchdown game at the position. I mean, he's a mismatch nightmare at this point for these linebackers that he's too that he's too fast for, too athletic for. His short area quickness as a tight end is off the charts. And then he's too big for these defensive backs. He told the defensive back that was on him in the back of the end zone, get taller after the touchdown. Um, which means, first of all, he just fits right into the New Orleans Saints culture. <laughs> but, but also, uh, you know, it, it's a unique skill set. And, you know, my two questions are, is there a pass too high for Juwan Johnson? And is there a pass thrown too far for Deontay Harris? Because if the answers there are probably not or no or closer to no than they are yes, that gives you so much versatility in terms of what you can do with this offense, right? We haven't really seen somebody, Michael Thomas works outside of his frame extremely well. But in terms of like that red zone threat guy that can just put the ball in this general area and I'll do something about it, maybe Marcus Colson. That's the last time you saw that. Jimmy. And Jimmy Graham. Yeah, yeah, and Jimmy Graham for sure. And I'm not saying Juwan Johnson is going to be either of those guys, but the skill set and the added ability to just be able to throw to an area, which is what the Saints like to do. They their spot, it's a spot throwing offense. So if you can just if you have somebody that has this ability to catch outside of their frame, that spot becomes much larger. Jameis Winston puts that pass up on that scissor concept where he was wide open in the back of the end zone off the corner route. He puts that pass up because he has a defensive lineman barreling down on him and he has to go with an upward trajectory on the throw. You maybe don't aren't at now they spent all offseason working together. I mean, these guys mm -hmm. threw and caught with one another the entire offseason, along with, you know, Adam Troutman and with um and with uh, Trey Quan Smith. But maybe you don't make that same throw if you don't have the confidence in Juwan Johnson to be able to go up and make that play. You see him do it early on in the game. You see him here all alone in the end zone and you say, okay, all I got to do is get it over there and he'll make something happen. If, if Juwan Johnson continued to be that type of a red zone threat, this team becomes extremely dangerous, not just between the twenties, but now you become a full field threat. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about the Panthers. Um, did not look great against the Jets. Sam mm -hmm. Darnold was fine. Um, the thing I, I, I do look at when I look at the Panthers offense is that they have very similar weapons around their quarterback as the Saints do. Yeah. Christian McCaffrey playing that Alvin Kamara role. DJ Moore, Robbie Anderson, Terrace Marshall, very similar skill sets, mm -hmm. able to run after the catch, guys who, who do very well in the open field. Um, to me, the main factors for the Saints are make – then one dimensional, you know, you got to take McCaffrey out of the running game. Mm -hmm. Don't turn it over again because you don't want to give a bad team cheap <laughs> opportunities. Right. And I think that they're going to try to get Marquez Callaway um, some catches this time. 
I think they're going to try to find him some easy passes. And then, of course, keep Jameis upright because I don't, yeah. I don't think the Panthers have a great, great defense at all. So you, you keeping this uh, pass rush at bay, you can't Jameis without pressure is just is scary. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And you'll see them continue to lean in on play action, which will allow them to generate that lack of pressure as well, because you have to honor the run. You have to be honest to run, especially when you have Alvin Kamara and then now a young guy in Tony Jones Jr. that can get you four or five yards per carry. So I think that a, a big part of it comes down and, and, and you know, the, the weapons that are over in Carolina have given the Saints trouble before. Robbie Anderson, DJ Moore. DJ Moore is always good for some big explosive play against the New Orleans Saints. It just always happens. He is that style receiver that the Saints have always struggled with. If Marshawn Lattimore is unable to go, which I highly expect this week because he'll just be coming off the surgery. I don't know how many weeks he's going to miss. It might not be that many. They say it's week but, to week. I'd imagine yeah. that, you know, with a corner, they're going to tape it up and brace it up and pad yeah. it up and everything because if they, hey, look, he doesn't, he's not going to use his hands a whole bunch. He doesn't get picks. They don't throw right. a ton of passes his way. Right. They figure it out. Yeah. And so I expect he'll be back quickly. It wouldn't surprise me if he's not able to go this weekend, but I expect that he'll be back pretty quickly. And, you know, he might even be a game time decision, right? He might even be DMP in the game time decision, whatever it is that they go with him. But when it comes down to it, I think that you're trying to figure out how you're going to limit those guys, particularly out of the slot. Um, you know, who is it that operates out of the slot? I think it's actually an advantage for New Orleans if Terrace Marshall operates out of the slot matched up with C.J. Gardner-Johnson, because then you get physical on physical. Where C.J. Gardner-Johnson has struggled in the slot in the past, not very often, but where he has struggled in the past is with the smaller, shiftier receivers when Robbie Anderson works his way inside, when Curtis Samuel used to work in that slot, who's now in Washington, thankfully. And so I think that becomes a key piece of all of this to watch. Teams love, and in particular, the New Orleans Saints system, which is basically what Joe Brady is running in in uh in carolina they love to take shots to the slot so that's going to be a big part of their game plan if you can eliminate that and then do exactly as you've always done this team even when they were seven and nine was a team that focused on it was successful at stopping the run now 2014 to 2016 you know not a lot of teams had to run against the new orleans saints and i get that but they were always stout against it regardless and they'll continue to do that they did that last week they took that away it's 43 total rushing yards allowed by this team, uh, expect to see them focus on taking away um, Christian McCaffrey. They'll give him the receiving yards out of the backfield if he wants the receiving yards, but they're going to try to stop the run game so that they can't control the clock. They're still going to focus down on that in terms of that front seven. So it's going to be a really uh, entertaining matchup to watch. I think if Marcus Williams continues to be able to give you that safety that allows you to call all these different coverages and you know gives uh, Malcolm Jenkins the freedom even out of too high to play downhill so that you just trust Marcus Williams to be back there in coverage, then they end up, you know, they end up matching up very well against this team. The Saints have a big time advantage against Carolina because Carolina runs their offensive system. Joe Brady runs Sean Payton's system. So nobody knows that system better than Sean Payton. And that does give the New Orleans Saints a competitive advantage there. But personnel wise, it'll be interesting to see how everybody matches up. Before we finish, um, it's amazing how week one changes our perception of the opening of this season, mm -hmm. because now when you look at it and you look at the schedule, Panthers this week feels like a win, right? Mm -hmm. I'm surprised that it's only a three point game. That 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 really surprised me. Yeah, I'll be I'll be watching that to see if it moves closer because or so, not moves closer. Sorry, closer to the game if it opens. So that's a, a a winnable game. Then you go to New England against rookie quarterback Mac mm -hmm. Jones. Another time where you feel like that's a winnable game. 
It may be a close fight, but it's a winnable game. You know, I'm not chalking it up. It's Patriots. No. But then you come home and you get Daniel Jones in the Superdome, and it's going to be the Superdome then. Right. People will be back, and it's going to be electric because they missed out on week one. Right. So you, they can beat the Giants. The Giants are a turnover-prone team, not a great team. Mm-hmm. Then you go to Washington. They lost Fitzpatrick. You get Taylor Heineke. You could be talking about going into Seattle at four and one. Yeah. Maybe even a five and oh, if you get lucky, if they get out of the gate like that, then you're really starting to talk about the Saints as a contender, not just a a playoff contender, but a legitimate contender. Yeah. It's a perfect start to what would then be by then. Like if the Saints are four and one or five and oh, by the time that the bye week comes along, and we've talked about that five game stretch opening up two and three is great for this team. Because we expected a week one loss. Mm-hmm. Now, all of a sudden, that conversation goes to three and two. Or even if they still end up two and three. But if they get that four and one, five and oh, you're going to hear this team talked about as a contender. You're going to hear Sean Payton talked about as somebody to watch as early coach of the year candidate, which I think is absolutely deserved because everybody started to counter him out. You know, no Drew Brees, what happens next, even though this team was eight and one without him over the last two seasons. And then where's the conversation around Jameis Winston, depending upon his performance during that time? I mean, comeback player of the year, at least, you know, those early conversations. Borderline MVP conversation. Get some of that conversation. Exactly. Like these are the storylines we're going to be really interested to, to watch because if you're having those conversations, it comes with a lot of eating crow (laughs) for a lot of the people that counted this team out. And some of it just simply has to do with the matchups. Once that Seattle game hits between the Seattle game and when they take on the Jets later on in the season, which I think is week uh, 12 or 11, something like that. It's later on in the year. That stretch is really tough. You know, you've got the Bills in that stretch. You've Bucks. got the or the Bills are a little bit later, but you've got the Bucks in that stretch on Halloween night. You have the the Seattle Seahawks. Like you have this really challenging stretch that takes place. If you can walk in there with one loss going into that gauntlet in the middle of the season, that's a great situation for the New Orleans Saints to be in. And it's achievable. It's possible simply because of the matchups they're going to have available to them over these next couple uh, of couple of weeks. Man, thank you so much. We got to wrap up now. Um, if you want to see more or hear more of us every Wednesday, Ross is on my show, Crunch Time at five o'clock. We'll be there today. So you can check that out. And then uh, we'll be back now. We're going to be back every Wednesday doing doing our Dome Patrol thing. As usual, we've been hemming and hard and missing each other. And now finally, we're going to get back in the Finally got it. 17 weeks to go. And we're going to have a blast doing it. Ross, man, thank you so much. And it's so good to do this with you again. My brother, absolute pleasure. Um, always an honor to be here with and to be able to share the mic, man. I appreciate you having me on. I look forward to talking to you later today, and I look forward to next week. All right, my brother. Until the next time, this has been Hard to Paint with David Grubb. All right. All right, Good. man. How did it feel right. to be back at it? It was cool, man. I enjoyed it. It was it, plus it's easy with us. It, yeah. it, it's like riding a bike. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think we covered good stuff, though. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we'll have some more fun this afternoon. Yeah. So I got a Vashti uh, Hurt coming on before you. Oh, dope. So we talk Panthers with her. Yeah. So, That's yeah. Great. She's dope, man. Yeah, she is. She's and dope. I'm so, uh, that, that again, that networking, man, the stuff that we just built up and meeting all these new people and, and mm-hmm. being able to talk to them. And like Maddie and I, like that was our first real conversation. And afterwards, she was like, that was a blast. She said, I had a great time. So that's that's usually how it goes. I tell people, yeah. I was like, it's usually. 
how it goes. Most folks want to come back yeah. because, you know, we have fun and, I, uh, you know, and it's not yes or no question. So, right. Right. There's I, actual personality attached. So I, I love the fact that most of the guests, I mean, I, I haven't had really a guest who's been on who said, no, I'm not coming back. I've never had right. that. <laughs> so, right. But it's funny. I had my, you know, I had my um, hosting while black moment when they, the, the station told me, you know, you're a little too black. They, they oh, told, no. they t- basically they told Ray that and Ray told me, and he's like, don't worry about it. Do your thing. But there's people in the front office who think you're too black. No. And I'm like, well, I'm I mean, not changing. That was to say, I mean, I am, but <laughs> I, they, they ain't nothing about to stop about it. <laughs> no, it really wasn't. So it's, it's like, okay, because that go tomorrow. I got Dave Zier and we're gonna be talking about Colin Kaepernick. So you just wait. <laughs> yeah. So we're gonna have some fun. I know. I know. I'm gonna get lit up tomorrow, but I'm waiting for it. I'm like, yes, please, please, please. Come on, Southeast, Southwest Louisiana. All right, man. I gotta go record with Trevor at noon. So let me get all ready for right, that. I'll talk to you soon. Yeah, man. All right, see you. Man. <laughs>